Craig Harriman, welcome back to the podcast. Three time, three time guest. Is this third time? Oh yeah, yeah. you are, yeah. I think you might be but, the, oh no, you're the second hat trick. Who, there's, oh, there's, okay. There was one other, Corey's been on it three times, I think. So you're the second, I'll get you your hat trick. Uh, I was going to say, I am um, sure that must be the first person to do three, but Corey bring me to it. Yeah. Greg, thanks for coming back onto the show, mate. Uh, no topic that I want, topic that I wanted to cover was uh, training for your health versus training for your performance. And obviously yeah. I was based down with you down at base last year. And this is something that we spoke heavily about, even, you know, with your team in the staff meetings. Um, obviously you as a coach, you program for both the programming that you do for base, but then you have your rise program as well. So you kind of see it from both sides. So it'd be really interesting to find out your point of view. Um, for those listening to this might not, I wanted to just start off by talking about why is this the topic? Why uh, are me and you as coaches um, approaching this topic and talking about training for your health and training for your performance? Cool. How, oh, uh, that a question? Sorry. That was a question. <laughs> <laughs> and you prepped me for this as well. Um, yeah, I, I think the, it's something. So when you sent the uh, topic over to me, the, the, the question, the first thing that came to my mind for something is I went straight to CrossFit. And I was just like, oh, yeah, performance is preparing for CrossFit. Then I was just like, well, actually, it's not it's any any physical task, right? So it could be getting your first pull-up. It could be running a 5K at a certain time, running your first marathon, doing that. anything that requires you to be able to perform a physical task. Whereas then when we look at health goals, which is probably the majority of people that we end up working with are either some sort of uh, feeling better, looking better, um, a health-related goal would be something less tangible or not necessarily something physical like I said of uh, running a certain distance at a certain time I think identifying what it is you're trying to achieve and why is probably the best place to start yeah that's I think you've summed it up there in terms of training for health let's not beat around the bush most people it's aesthetics right it's body composition trying to lose weight trying to lower body fat that type of stuff 100% and I think that often gets like I when people come to me with a goal and say I want to like uh, I want to I want to get healthier, get fitter. They usually mean I want to look better. And I think the more honest people can be with themselves and the reasons why that's important and the easier it is to set yourself up for success. If someone comes to me and they're like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to look better. That might generally be because they're trying to look after their health and having a better body composition will end up creating a more healthy life for you. And there's definitely health benefits if you've got a smaller waist to hip ratio than if you've got a bigger waist to hip ratio. There's definitely markers for better health uh, as you get older. So looking better isn't necessarily something as vain as like, oh, I want to look better with my shirt off. It could generally be, I want to be healthier. A marker for that for me is looking better and feeling better. So I think that would, for me, be considered a health goal. Yeah, and going going off on a tangent straight away, There's a, there was a podcast that I was listening to and it was talking about, you know, this whole movement with uh, perhaps, you know, obese models on the front of mag- like, you know, beauty magazines and things like that. And people yeah. saying you shouldn't be glorifying this. And there's this whole argument that you can actually be a little bit overweight and be healthy. Uh, yeah. Likewise, you could have a six pack and be unhealthy. And that's a really interesting yeah. thought, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, so I Googled the, I know Emma's done this before and she's always incorporating uh, mental and mental health and happiness into health as well. And I think when you start to go down the realm of like, oh, someone's completely shredded, but they live this ridiculously tight lifestyle that's not healthy. 
that's not something someone can maintain or sustain for a long period of time. And they're probably not the happiest person in the world because they've actually probably got loads of self-esteem issues they're trying to manage as well. So looking in great shape or someone appearing to be in physically great shape doesn't necessarily mean they're happy or even that they're healthy internally. But yes, I've, I've seen a bunch of that stuff with the obese models and trying to not trying to people arguing that you shouldn't and should glorify it. But then my, for all the people that moan about that, I think that's just people wanting something to moan about because they do it the other way as well. There was a post that I saw the other day about a girl and she was a bigger girl and she'd posted a picture of herself in her underwear slagging off one of the um, Kardashian girls because she'd done like a Valentine's Day photo shoot and she looked really skinny. My, I was like, how are you any better than anyone else fat shaming you? You're skinny shaming her, leave her alone. Like, what's the problem? And the best part was this girl had pitched like her best pair of matching underwear and had the best light in every way. She was doing the complete same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, mate, let's, so let's move on. Talking about, um, we're going to go into a little bit more detail on maybe the kind of like the physical side of training and things to take into consideration. But I always think about training for health, training for performance. Like you highlighted having, having performance-based goals. But in terms of just like an attitude, now you might agree or disagree. I'm sure you're going to agree with this. Like if we were to go back, you know, eight or nine years before we got into CrossFit, um, addressing other things other than just how much we can snatch and clean and jerk, addressing things like our sleep, our nutrition, um, just general mood and things like that. How important is that when thinking about health, health and performance? I think for both, it's really important. I think especially if people are taking performance seriously, For if you look at the, the top, tier of any sport so if you look at someone trying to like qualify for the olympics or someone who plays for like man, man united their amount of time they spend training is going to be way way more than just like myself or yourself which means the the effort they've got to put into the stuff outside the gym is probably relatively the same compared to others well. so like how much time do i spend making sure that I'm eating enough or doing enough movement work or mobility work. If you've got a, a very lofty performance goal, you're going to have to match the, the effort you put into recovery and fueling for that as much as you would training. I think the outside of it is probably more time consuming than the actual training. So if I've got, uh, if I've got a goal of trying to qualify for, I don't know, the next stage of the open is my training goal at the moment. And then if I'm, the majority of my training time is going to be spent doing CrossFit specific stuff. That's only an hour a day tops. So where else can I get myself closer to my goals? I can make sure I'm sleeping enough. I can make sure I'm eating enough. I can make sure I'm hydrating enough. I can make sure I'm not sitting for too long. Make sure I'm not staying up late watching TV instead of going to bed. And all those areas are things that you would have to, to consider. Well, I guess not because I was going to say you'd have to consider how important is all of that stuff for your performance goal, but then that's going to have an impact on any health goal as well. If I'm not sleeping enough or creating too much stress in my body where I'm not going to be able to have a positive adaptation to my training, then that's going to have an adverse effect as well. So I think it's equally as important what you do outside of training as it is in training. Um, but I think, the, like you said, the way you would approach it would be probably slightly differently. I think you'd put more, more stress. I'm probably getting too ahead of the conversation, but you'd probably put more stress on yourself if you had a performance-related goal than if you had something less tangible. No, I think you've summed it up right there in terms of that both the factors that you've said there and we kind of mentioned, you know, nutrition, sleep, hydration, they're important for both parties. But it's just interesting to see perhaps if someone's got a performance goal and they, they can see like a, there's a real um, 
objective goal at the end of it that they're trying to work towards, they might be more motivated to stick to those, to stick to those habits as opposed to someone who is just, Hey, I know I should be sleeping a little bit more. I know I should be drinking a little bit more, more, more water, but they can't see kind of like the finish line in sight. It's not relating to anything. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, um, someone else asked me this question the other day is, do you think people with goals are more motivated? And I definitely think if you've got a tangible performance goal, like on um, March the 11th, I'm going to go and do a, is it the 11th or 12th, the Ironman. If you've got that deadline and you've got that target that you've got to train for, you're more, I feel you'd be more likely to commit to a training program and go to bed on time and hydrate enough then if it's just, I want to lose five kilos this year. I think there's more urgency and there's definitely more motivation there as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, that's super interesting with with setting goals. Like I'm I'm going to run a marathon on on Friday morning. Like and oh, I've yeah. been, and I've been building up to that. So I've been building uh, like literally the last like eighteen or nineteen weeks. Me, Mark, and my friend Matt as well. We started off just running ten k, and then gradually we built up to twenty k. Then we did like thirty nice. k, and we've done that a few times, and it's just been a natural progression. We didn't actually set a date on when we were going to do it, but we kind of just had a roundabout date. And it's kept us so consistent on those Fridays that we haven't wanted to miss something. And whereas before it might just be like, you know, Thursday night is a great opportunity to have a few drinks because you, you're not yeah. necessarily working the next day. Whereas that having that run, that Friday morning, early morning run, was just enough to stop me from, you know, having a few too many drinks or having a late night. Well, that's, that's the other thing, right, as I made a note of this, uh, is the stuff you do outside will be controlled by what you're doing in training. Because, for example, if, if someone was training to run a marathon and they're only going to run like three, maybe four times a week, absolute max, on those three days, you've got to make sure you're getting the most out of those runs. If you're boozing up the night before, it's probably going to impact your performance the next day. So that in itself is going to keep you on track, just like you said. Mate, let's move on to... Obviously, both of our background is kind of like in the CrossFit environment, but I'm sure it applies to the fitness space in general. Having that performance goal, um, how effective is that for uh, improving things like, you know, someone's goal is to have a pull-up rather than try and drop 5 kg of weight. Like, where is the, the kind of the mixture of the goals? Where is the sweet spot for that? Yeah, I think everybody, we always try, when everyone comes in the gym, we try and set a tangible goal that you can you can measure in in time of say let's say we're going to be here in six months so what does three months look like what does a month and a half or does two right down to the point of like what we're going to do today versus if you've got and again we all know weight loss as as a natural number is very difficult to track because you could increase muscle mass and lose body fat and look incredible and not have moved the scale at all so if you've got a goal of like hey uh, i wouldn't be able to do one pull up I'm going to start with my goal this week is to be able to do five ring rows. And then my goal in four weeks is to be able to do a negative pull up. And then my goal in uh, halfway to that goal is to be hold myself over a bar for 20 to 30 seconds. And then you can see actual tangible steps towards making that goal versus if it's something subjective, like a health goal, you're probably going to be, Oh yeah, uh, my, I've lost a little bit of weight this week or it hasn't really moved this week. So I'm not sure if I'm making progress. And then that's going to, cause your motivation to spin as well so i definitely think having a goal is going to make it 100 easier for you to stay on track and make it more fun and enjoyable as well i think it's quite hard to i think the most drop off or well, look at the other way the more committed most committed people we've had in our gym are always people that have had a, a goal or something they want to work on a summit achieve rather than just training for the sake of training and i'm not saying training for the sake training for health is the sake of training i just think 
you've got to be pretty motivated to stay committed to a training program for a long time without having a serious goal in mind. I think as a coach, and I'm sure you agree, as a coach, it's, I get so much more satisfaction out of someone who gets, a, gets their first pull-up if they're like, they can, or, you know, hit a massive PR in their deadlift versus, oh, I dropped 4kg or even like a before and after photo, I'm still more excited about, you know, seeing someone get their first muscle-up or something like that. Yeah. And the, um, yeah, no, 100%. And I think as well is people, when you have a tangible, okay, so you start with one pull-up, and you, you get that pull up, then it's very easy to move the goalpost to the next goal. So you can reevaluate and go, cool, we've done that. What next? It's right, we're going to see in the next month if we can do five in a row. And then three months after that, we're going to be doing pull ups in an actual workout. And then we can move to looking at our six months, we're going to be looking at our first muscle up. And there's just linear progression through there. And it's always the next stage. And that's never really going to run out because no one's ever going to get to the point where, yeah, I can do enough pull ups now. That's fine. I don't care anymore. Whereas, like, if your goal is more health related and there's less kind of, and it sounds like I'm bashing health related goals, but I'm really not. But if you've got a, uh, I want to lose weight, I want to lose weight. When are you ever happy? You're never going to get to the point where it's just like, yeah, that's, that's good enough for me now. I mean, obviously if you're training just for health and, and you like coming to the gym because it, it makes you feel good and it improves my energy and it allows me to escape from work and I can blast some steam, then yeah, absolutely. That's more power to you crack on. But I just think if you've got that goal and you, there's, there's no real finish line. And I think that's why people get so hooked on programs like CrossFit. It's the, it's the mastery of movement. It's always like, okay, I've, I've learned how to do a clean now. Can I do 40 kilos? Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to 60 kilos. And then all oh, my deadlifts now 200 kilos. And it's just constantly allowing you to, to push. But again, I guess that's the same. Like how many people do you know I've done a marathon and then like done an ultra, I bet give it a year and you'll be like, yeah, I'm doing a 60 K next. Yeah, you sound, I was actually going to say that about CrossFit in, in particular, but other training methods as well. There's always, you've never completed it. There's, it's yeah. always like, right, I can, right, I've learned how to do a push-up. Now I'm going to do a handstand push-up. Now I'm going to do strict handstand push-ups off the parallettes. Now I'm going to do handstand push-ups on the rings. Like there's always something. And that's what's really powerful about that uh, community and class environment as well. That you're probably looking around and there's probably someone in the class that's better than you that you're kind of looking up to, whether it's lifting more weight running faster and there's always like that thing in crossfit of like someone who who maybe just gets into it is super skinny is well good at the cardiovascular stuff and their goal is to like get stronger versus the guy who's probably carrying a little bit too much weight ex-rugby player they come in and they just rip like 300 pounds off the floor like no problem and then but they can't run for anything and then the the class and the community environment is pleasant to a lot and the whole competitive environment i don't believe everybody should choose CrossFit as a, as a sport because I don't think that's the healthiest way for people to train unless they're interested in that. But then even take like running and signing up to run in a race, so whether it's a 10K, is you're committing to a finish line or a target date to run this event and you're going to have a time. Nobody's going to run a 10K once and then not think about trying to improve that time next time. So when you sign up for a marathon or you give yourself that benchmark of like, this is the date where I'm going to get tested. All my training is going to be tested on this day is... I have to prepare or I'm going to injure myself or I'm going to look like a fool because my time is going to be horrible. And then the next time you do it, you've got something to compete against. That in itself is motivated enough to try and beat yourself. Whether it's trying to beat your mate or trying to beat the next person next to you in class or you're just trying to improve on your time from before. And putting yourself, even if it's just going to the gym and seeing you can lift more than your mates, being in that competitive environment is definitely going to, or a community environment and making it a bit more gamifying training is definitely going to keep you more focused and more motivated. 
Yeah, I can't think of how many times I've gone out and gone, I'm just going to go for a, a casual run. I'm not going to worry about time or anything like that. And then halfway through, I look at my watch. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm actually on oh, for a fast time here. Right, I'm, I'm going to speed up. <laughs> Screw zone two, I'm going for it. Yeah, just a red line. Mate, I wanted to uh, pick your brains because I, I feel like you're a specialist in this area um, just because of your experience and, and currently what you're doing now with programming. Um, what are I the main differences? In, yeah, you're a specialist in brisket, coffee, some other stuff as well. Um, what about, what does a, a program or when you're programming now, because obviously you have like your base program and then the rise program as well. What are some of the fundamental like movements that you're looking to achieve in both that you feel both important for health and performance? And then, so maybe go through some of the similarities and then maybe talk a little bit more about what the performance side of that looks like. Yeah, for sure. So I think um, I like to look at things in uh basic compound patterns so squat pattern hinge pattern push pull and then a certain amount of, of carry um and then the structure that support those movements and that's how what the principles we use up to plan our base program which is designed to be a, a general health and wellness program people who want to get stronger feel better look better train for longer make progress and allow people to train hard safely so if we have touches of enough of those touches in a week of making sure people's squat pattern is a improving the movement pattern, but also strengthen the movement pattern as well. And we hit enough touches of that across our program for everybody, regardless of their age, ability, or goal. Likewise, on our um, more competitive program or uh, our rise program, we still use the same movement patterns as a principle. So we're looking at how many times a week we go through squat pattern, how much time we load hinge pattern, how much time we spend overhead, how much time we spend doing pull-ups. Um, and as well as even distribution of energy systems as well. So we're looking at getting enough aerobic work and enough anaerobic work that applies to both programs. I think the main differences between the two programs would be um, for a, a health and lifestyle program, you're looking at pretty even balance between all of those movement patterns and all of those energy systems. So you're covering as much touch points because if we're doing a group program, no two people are exactly the same and no two people have exactly the same goals. So no one prescription is going to be right for each individual. But if you're working with 100 people, you've got to cast the widest net possible to try and have the most effective program for as many people as we can. If people, and a lot, some people would benefit a lot more from individualized programming or personal training when you would have something more personal and that person may need more time working on their squat because their squat ability is not great or whatever, whatever. but we don't have that option. Uh, luxury when you're working with a mass group of people so it's just the broad the most balanced and broadest uh, coverage of those elements as possible when you're looking at a more we have a crossfit specific program but you could apply it to any sport is you want to spend more time looking at the specifics of the sport or the demands of the sport if you're a runner you'd need to run at least three days a week if you're a footballer you'd go to football training three times a week if you were a boxer and you had a boxing match and you were doing any boxing you'd probably get knocked out and you were just doing training stuff so where you're no longer trying to generalize and you're trying to be more specific to the sport you then start looking at looking at sport specific and try and replicate that within your training so for example our sport at the moment is crossfit so we're looking at uh seven to 15 minute long workouts and we know there's going to be toes to bar chest to bar thrusters wall balls deadlifts what the standard cross of movements are so we're looking at replicating the intensity and the movement density this is this is a cool one you're like this is movement density is something we've been trying to play with lately is if you're capable capable of doing 100 toes to bar um across 20 minutes 
but you need to be able to do them in a hundred in a hundred right, in seven minutes because that's the benchmark for an open sport it's trying to increase our density so trying to create workouts that allow you to do that many toes to bar in that period of time that's not something that matters for someone who's training for health who, ca who cares you know what i mean Whereas if you're a performance goal, you're looking at, cool, I'm going to get tested on this workout with this movement and it's going to last this long. And to get a good score, I have to be hitting this many reps. You have to be replicating that and understanding that in your training and then trying to match that. I think those would be your main separators. Yeah, definitely. Mate, I'm super interested to hear your point of view on this. Where's like that? Uh, obviously, there, there'll be like a gray area in between someone who's training for, you know, just to be healthy and then train it for someone who's getting into like the competitive side. And we're, we're using CrossFit because that's our background and it just gives a good overall um, where a lot of people are at. Where's that like sweet spot where you see someone making that transition and what, what are the important factors that they need to weigh up? We're going from health to performance. Yeah. Just, you, you know, you've got someone who who's perhaps doing your base program or you're in one of my functional fitness programs and they're doing three or four days a week and they're super consistent. You, they're starting to take a, take a little bit more notice of the leaderboards and their weight that they're lifting and stuff. Where's that kind of sweet transition spot? That's a good question. I think there's a bunch of things to consider. And it's when I was making notes of the questions sent over, I was like, everything, every, my first answer was depends, depends. And that's the classic coach answer. And I think if, any good coach will always answer depends because there's no like right answer for right prescription about taking the depends into the scenario, right? So I think it depends on their experience and how serious they're willing to to take training. If they're, I always look at it as people, they kind of explain it in levels. It's like, so level one is you've just started at the gym, going three days a week and enjoying yourself. Level two, you're up to five days a week and you're starting to lift heavy. Level three is like, oh, I'm noticing the other guy's gym getting more competitive. And then when you get to like levels four and five where it's like, I'm getting really frustrated that I can't link my toes to bar together. So I guess it would just depend on a bunch of variables. But I think your your motivation and how willing you are to go and put yourself into uncomfortable situations or like spend more time in the gym because there's going to be skills you've got to work on and then your training experience. If you've been doing it for three months, unless you've come from another sport and you've got a good athletic ability, you probably want to be staying on a health program for a little bit longer. And I think that's one of the problems as well is people go oh yeah, I want to get better at CrossFit, so I'm going to go join a more competitive program. It's just, well, well, how well are you squatting? How well are you hinging? How well are you recovering? How, able, how well are you handling the current level of the volume of training you're doing? Um, are, you hit, are you doing enough training and hitting your training 100% like you should be? Are you really tired by the end of the week? Are you struggling to recover from yesterday's workout? And I think more people can get people can get a lot more out of a general health and fitness program than they think because they see all the shit on Netflix and all the stuff on Instagram. They're like, oh, yeah, this guy's doing like 30 muscle-ups in a workout. We'll get your first pull-up first, and then we can talk about that later. And I think people, they absolutely crush one workout, and they're like, yeah, I'm awesome at running in double-unders. It's like, well, that's a very small part of what you have to be good at in order to be able to put yourself through the kind of requirements that it take you to jump into a competitive program. And I think people misunderstand what their training requirements are for their goals. So when you get people who are, I'm training for health, and then they want to start making the next step to go into a competitive CrossFit program. It's like, do you actually care about CrossFit? Or are you just doing it because you think you want to train harder because it will make you look better? And not often it is that. And people are like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to start doing bar muscle-ups. It's just like, well, do you need to be doing bar muscle-ups? Or I want to learn how to kick. Um, there was a fellow that joined here, it was John Morgan, and he went, um, he came in and he could do 10 strict bar muscle-ups. 
and then came in and goes, yeah, I, I want to learn how to kick. I was like, why do you want to learn how to kick? You can do 10 strict bar muscle-ups. Save your shoulders, don't worry about it. And I think when you convert to a CrossFit program, so if, again, using CrossFit as the example, is if I'm going to put myself in a position where I have to do pull-ups as fast as I can or my score is not going to be as good, I'm volunteering myself to put my shoulders into funky positions at dynamic paces that are not supposed to be done that way. So in order for me to do that, I have to understand and accept that I'm going to have to spend more time recovering from that because it's going to create more stress on my body. If you're just going to train for health and fitness, just do strict pull-ups. It's so much better for you. You get so much stronger and who cares how fast you go? I'm so glad you brought that up. That was probably one of the last points I was going to say about just like that whole injury thing. And we've both been in the game long enough, had our own injuries. We, we see people doing it, coming in and you're just like, man, you're doing amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't overly stress about getting this movement right now. Get the basics down because basically you're going to get injured if you don't do that. And it's such a hard conversation to have because you want to have that right mix of being able to push someone on and encourage them. And, you know, because we were all in that position. We were both in that position before as well. But at the same time, just having our coach's hat on and going, oh, man, I know this guy can get a bar muscle up, but he's actually just going to wreck his shoulders after like two weeks from doing it. Totally. Yeah, and I think if people, if someone's genuine, like, I want to do the open, it's just like, well, sweet. Let's make sure you've established a really sound base of movement before you start doing anything too dynamic or too heavy. And then we can look at making those progressions next year because you know, you're not going to do it in the next two weeks. But if, unless you're doing it's again it's the demands what do you want to achieve okay in order for you to achieve that these are the, the demands and then work out what your limitations are and then from there build a program that suits and then i think you need a coach to or to be on a very good program to be able to do that but i think having a better understanding of what you actually want out of your training is probably the best way to identify what type of training you could be doing um john Britton posted something about overhead squats he's a weightlifter and john Britton's john Britton's a canadian weightlifter and he's insanely strong and he posted a picture of doing a heavy overhead squat and he's like overhead squats are the least functional movement agree or disagree like the pole was split and it was like uh 50 almost 50 percent either way um and then his response was like i think it's the biggest waste of time unless you're uh doing crossfit or you're a weightlifter because where in life are you going to have to be able to stabilize something overhead with your hands up here and then go below parallel it's not functional whatsoever and then people will see um, people will see like fun stuff. I'm going to do overhead squats because they're functional. I don't fucking not. I can't remember the last time I did an overhead squat. <laughs> but why would you like you're you're training yeah. to run a marathon? There's no requirement yeah, for it. Yeah. Like I'm going to do the CrossFit Open in two weeks. If I haven't been practicing overhead squats, they're going to come in a competition. I'm not going to hurt myself, or I'm going to have a really shit squat. So it's it's functional for me because that's the demands of my training at the moment. Whereas if I I've been through a couple of phases recently where I've kind of stopped doing CrossFit for a little bit because injuries or whatever. And then I've just, I haven't done any kipping work. I haven't done any Olympic weightlifting work and my body starts feeling really good. And then I'm like, oh, I can't wait till I retire from CrossFit because then I don't have to do any of this stuff that makes me feel shit again. And I think that's one of the, and again, this is just CrossFit as the example. Performance could be getting a pull-up, running a 5K, like playing sport, whatever. Not all sports are going to beat you up as much, but if you want to do something to a competitive level, you have to understand that there's going to be an element of recovery required to allow you to do that. And then it's probably not good for you. Like there's the whole, I don't know, remember when you cross at level one, they've got this spectrum of like wellness and, and um, uh, they call it the wellness continuum. Sickness, like, sickness and wellness, yeah. And then there's health, 
no, there's sickness, health, and then fitness or competitive yeah. fitness. And it's yeah. like, this isn't healthy because of what you do to your body and the stress, you, the increased stress you put yourself under your, is, is, isn't healthy. Or it's not training for health. Training to like be happy and look good and keep a lower level of body fat and all this type of shit is like health. Whereas like swinging off a pull-up bar and lifting heavy as you can isn't healthy. But if that's your sport and that's what you're going to, the environment you're going to put yourself in, then that's what you've got to do. Like training to run like a sub four hour marathon is probably not healthy. But if your goal is to achieve that performance, you're going to have to do things like the amount of repetitive strain injuries people get from um, hours and hours of running when training for ultra. That's not healthy. How many people do you know that I've been on a running program had tweets and niggles? That's not good for you. But if you want to do that because that's your goal, you have to understand that there are going to be repercussions from that training that you have to be able or willing to put the extra work in to recover from that to be able to achieve your goal. And I think that would be my like underlying difference between like, that's a performance goal. If you want to train for a performance goal, you've got to be willing to do the hard work to allow you to do the training to do the performance goal. It's literally the equivalent of going on, if, if you like playing rugby and you play rugby every weekend, going on knowing that you might, injure your shoulder from a tackle or playing football yeah, like it, someone might slide tackle you it's not in your control but I guess the biggest difference is that uh, do you know what in, in a gym environment in a cross environment there is an element of control like because everything mm. is there's no external forces on you uh, so 100%. there is almost like that you know and that's where coaching is important that's where programming comes in important and those types of things as well yeah and as I said if you're playing a contact sport the risk is out of, out of your control so in a gym you are controlling I think being sensible and not push yourself too hard like when how many times did you injure yourself when you were younger because you were able to push harder than your body's used to or is capable like I've luckily never had any really serious injuries but I've had so many niggles just from overtraining thinking that I was made out of steel and could go really hard and really fast on workouts and it was in my control and it was just stuff that I pushed myself too hard and ended up taking picking up injuries and niggles. Whereas if I was just doing general health and wellness training, I probably wouldn't have had, had those injuries. But unless we made CrossFit a contact sport. <laughs> I think, imagine doing that, like kidney shots and people are doing kip and pull-ups and stuff. I'm sure there's probably been something that's com- like that in, in one of the games events, like shoulder barging and stuff. I can't, oh, I can't yeah. on my head. But um, mate, just last one before we go on to Assault Bike Tales, which is where I, I ask some questions for some workouts, some hard workouts. Uh, obviously, Matt Fraser, CrossFit World, is, is retired and he's released his program now. Um, super interesting because obviously he's, he never released his programming and stuff before because he was set on winning and he did that obviously um, yeah. the most times ever. What's, uh, what's your thoughts on that, that he's, he's released his program? And obviously, it's going to be an amazing program, but just because he is the best at what he does, is his program going to be superior to anybody else's? Like, I know no. what your answer is going to be. It's going to be... If you do a program if you do a program consistently from a you know from a decent coach, then it's going to be it's going to get you the results that you want. I don't think so. I'm sure that I haven't seen it. I know he's done it, but I haven't seen it in the workouts or anything. I'm sure the programming will be really good. I'm sure he's really smart. He's really um, experienced and worked with a lot of coaches. So I'm pretty sure his programming will be good in terms of like the the volume of the program um the intensity etc etc um one thing i did hear him say was everything is based on your maxes or your effort so it's not like oh you've got to do 50 overhead squats at 185 pounds it's like uh, do this many reps at this much of your weight so that's one thing that sounds really good about the program but 
just because he, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows this, just because he's an incredible athlete doesn't mean his program is going to create incredible athletes. And I'm pretty sure he's been coached by other coaches over the years. So what got him to be as successful as he is, isn't doing the program that he's released on his Hardware Pays Off program. Um, so yeah, I think um, another coach posted this the other day and it was like, there's no such thing as a bad program. Um, it's all about your approach to training and, uh, and the coaching of the program. And I largely agree with that, but I do think there are bad programs. This is a bit of a tangent, by the way, because it's not just about Matt Fraser, but I do think there's enough people can do shit programming. And then, then me and Rowan had a discussion on the podcast the other day about how uh, there's good programs and there's good coaching. And if you go to a gym or you sign up for a program, surely that's got to be the minimum expectation. Like no one should be claiming like, we do good programming. It's like, of course you do good programming. That's your fucking job. You should be good at programming. Like, but when you get like exceptional programming, is that good or is that as good or as important as an exceptional coach? Because then you can have the best program in the world, but if you're an idiot and you're not scaling it appropriately or you're not doing it properly, you're not going to get the benefit out of it. Whereas if you had a really, really, really good coach, but you were doing a terrible program, what would be more beneficial? And I thought that was quite an interesting discussion because then obviously someone who's like, I could, I'm pretty motivated to train on my own. If someone sent me a really good program, I could go and follow that program. If it had loads of kind of like um, progressions that were working on my weaknesses, I'd get a lot fitter off of that program, definitely. Versus if I just, if I took the best program in the world, but I went and butchered it and did it horribly, then, but then if you have a really shit program, is that going to, of course that could be bad for you. If you've got a program that's too much volume and you do too much moving patterns of the same thing in the same day. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be keen to have a look at the program and, and see what it's like. But I think it would be a good program compared to anything else that's out there like Comtrain or Training Think Tank. I think there's a couple of really good programs out there at the moment that a lot more people are jumping onto. And I think competitive CrossFit's becoming cool again with all the changes we've made to the Open. So I think what I'm hoping is more you remember back in like when you used to do it back in the day in 2013 through 15, maybe 2016 before they started changing it. It was like the thing to do. It was fun. It was it was exciting. And me and you could do the open and be competitive. And then they kind of made all those changes and it turned into like you're only the top one percent of playing this game now. And then that got a little bit boring for everybody. Whereas with the changes they've made, I'm sure I'm hoping it's gonna get a lot more people interested in being competitive and cross CrossFit again. And then what that will need is a lot more programs that are um, accessible for people who are professional athletes. So programs that are 60 minutes of training five days a week, that's enough to make progress in CrossFit, especially if you work nine hours a day and you've got two kids and you're not doing it full time. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And it, yeah, it is exciting to see. I was just thinking there when you mentioned comp train, I was like, I think I mentioned to, this to you before, like comp train used to release like three stages in the email and it used to be like open athlete and then it'd be like regional and then it'd be like games athlete. And then just me, so naive, I would do the games athlete one. And I'd do like, and the weights would be like 205 overhead squats. I'd be like, I'll just do 95 for that. And like, it's yeah. <laughs> just way off. Like, and I'd be like, no, the open workout isn't enough for me. When in reality, it probably was enough for me. Mm, 100%. And I think that's a point I made, uh, no, I made about talking about the whole health versus performance is, you and I know the best way for someone, if their goal is to drop body fat because they're conscious of their health or they want to look better is to do resistance training and then some high intensity training and some uh, steady aerobic training. 
and then keep it all very simple. And there's no need for people to be doing like sledgehammers and tire flips. And there's no need for people to be doing like burpees and toaster bar. We'd know that go for a walk and then come back and do like, then do some push-ups and some squats or sit and do some leg extensions. People are going to start looking much better. And it's cracks me up when you see people who train, claim to be like, I don't know, fucking transformation coaches or like, oh, getting best shape of your life. And they're like, they've got 50 year old women jumping through tires. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. everybody knows you're just trying to do it because it's, it's like, and I know there's an element of trying to keep the training interested and keep people engaged, but it doesn't matter. People, people are going to see through that when training stops getting them results just because it's fun and they're not making progress, not going to hang around. So I think making sure. I think the underlying, my underlying point for the whole thing is make sure everyone's clear, the coach and the person doing the program, what the goal is. Make sure you understand the demands of that uh, goal, understand what the limitations are, and then make the plan based around that. And I think that's it. Really progress. Yeah, and I'll just layer one on top of that. Like, just make sure it's something that you can do consistently. If, you, if you're going to a gym because someone told you it's the best gym and, you know, they've got the best reputation and you actually just don't enjoy it and it's like 25 minutes away from your work, like, that ain't going to be sustainable. Like, find somewhere yeah. that's on your route home, the environment that you enjoy, you enjoy the coaches, you enjoy the people in the classes, like, relevant to that because that's the most important thing at the end of the day. And that's obviously what I do with Movement Wins. It's, it's saying something is better than nothing doesn't matter what it is but hey once you get to a certain level then it is going to be more important to get to you know strength training and those types of things but just turning up is the biggest one yeah i wrote those two things down as well it's like as few hurdles as possible make it as joyful as possible so anyway you're going to commit to it all right i want to move on to this because this does not sound <sighs> enjoyable i asked i asked in the um in, on my instagram i got six replies which is probably the most i've ever had to a question which i was proper pumped about um winning Luca Shinklife, who used to be, who he probably still is an animal if you got him to a crossing environment, but he was uh, definitely fitter than he, he is now. Uh, for he, he his worst workout, yeah, definitely. <laughs> his worst workout for time: thirty thrusters at ninety-five pounds, five hundred meter roll uh, row. Goal is sub two and a half minutes. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> thirty thrusters at ninety-five pounds, five hundred meter row. Goal is to go two, two and a half minutes. What? Has he done it? I don't know. I'll have to follow up with him. I'm guessing because he's written it. He must if, have done it. If he's, if he's done that in two and a half minutes, that would definitely be the worst thing you've ever done. That'd be horrible. 30 thrust. What's that? You're looking at? Yeah, no, that's possible actually. Two and a half minutes. Yeah, a minute and a half. Yeah, that's doable actually. Is that a minute and a half row? 500 meter row? You could row. I think my best ever is like 125. So as long as you see your thrust is in less than a minute, you could pull it off two and a half minutes. Yeah. That'd be horrendous. Two and a half, two and a half, uh, two point. Yeah, that would be terrible. A good one from Oreo, which you've done. Surfer on acid, which is 400 meter run, 21 burpees, three rounds. Oh, yeah. That was a brilliant workout. That's just, I mean, yeah. You sent me that one during lockdown, I think it was, or not long after lockdown. And I, um, I did it with no warm-ups. I hadn't trained that day. And it felt great for the first round. Then the second round, on the, on the second round, my legs were on absolute fire. That was rough. That's, that's a rough workout because it's, it's literally just the definition of, like, obviously, you do a warm-up <laughs> before you do it. But it's, there's, yeah, no complex, there's no complex movements in there. You know, it's, you, there's no kind of risk of, you know, I guess you can do poor technique on burpees, but it's generally a safe workout that you can kind of max out on. Yeah, very easy. And what was it, like, nine minutes nine minutes something like that yeah i think sub nine minute i set you as the goal i think you got it 
I'll have to have a look. I think I was just under nine minutes. Uh, great one from Phil. Base three, Ironman. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> so we did, um, for those that don't know, we did a 15K run. So in teams of three, all three members had to run 15K. First person to get back could start on the bike, on the assault bike. And we did 90, 94K on the assault bike in a team of three. Was it, was it 94K? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it was, eight, eight, no, it was uh, 84. No, what was it? I can't remember. I thought it was 100 something. It was, it was around that mark. It was, we did, our team did three minutes on, six minutes off for like four and a half hours. Like it was miserable. Yeah, it was ridiculous. The and then it, was, so, then it was a 30K row after. <laughs> that was it. The worst part about that for me is I've got, I can't run slowly. I'm a horrible long distance runner. And that was a really long distance for me. But I, um, I got back from the run like, probably 20 maybe 20 30 minutes before adam and probably about 50 minutes before Rowan. so i got in and i was like i think the second in i think uh was it mark on your team yeah he beat he was him and scott were the only ones that beat me so I, there were two people on the same team sharing the bike and i sat there for like 50 minutes on my own after running 15k and then and i like, came in as the third member <laughs> yeah it was 45 or oh, 15k run piece 180k on the assault bike and then 30k run Oh, 180k. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, took, took about eight hours. Uh, some other good ones here. Uh, Murph, always a tough one. That's from Laura. Um, I don't know why, but I absolutely love Murph. I think it's the most fun work. I don't know if there's the whole, like, there's so much hype around it because of the reason behind the workout, but I thoroughly enjoy doing Murph every time. I'm not very good at it, but I just enjoy that workout. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not good at it. The only time I find it miserable is with a weighted vest and mm. doing 200 push-ups in a row in a weighted vest is just like miserable. Pull-ups, I don't yeah. mind doing like 100, but 200 push-ups is like, I hate it. This year, because we're in lockdown, um, luckily we had a pull-up bar, so we did pull-ups, but I did it no vest and partitioned for the first time. And that was so much more fun. That's quite I really pleasant. enjoyed that one. Yeah, that's quite it a was, pleasant experience. That was nice. Um, Kate said about the Spartan, one of the Spartan races, 20 obstacles, middle of the desert, across the sand dunes in 37 degrees heat, which uh, sounds horrendous. Um, and then Scott Wilson, 2K row for time at the DFC. You remember that? When one? Craig fired. I don't remember fighting, but I remember beating him by one second. Um, <laughs> that was rough. That was hard. I think that was, I remember literally falling off the rower and then Scott falling off the rower and him landing on my lap just on the floor like one second after. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure I got him by one second. Yeah. Have you that got any... About the, that one about the Spartan race, I was going to say, is the those ones, it's always the conditions, the environment. So if you do anything in sand, horrible, anything where it's hot, that's always going to make it worse. So I think environmental challenges are probably one of the best ways to adapt a workout to make it terrible. What, uh, have you got any workouts off the top of your head? I've got a few. So I, I started writing these down as I was when you asked the question, I was just like, oh man, where do we start? Um, so for me, I think long isn't as bad as short. I think me I being a more endure, uh, a less enduring athlete means that my intensity drops off as long as something goes on for. So I don't find like that the Ironman one was not the hardest workout I've ever done for sure. It was one of the most fun things I've done, but I just can't move that fast for that long. So it's not as challenging. Um, usually the short something is the harder you can go the, the more devastating it is and like you said about surf and acid the simpler it is the less things you've got to think about the harder you can go so we um, 50 calorie time on assault bikes uh, probably yeah. one of the worst things you can do 10 minute assault bike test 
or the 200 meter step push test. Like if you, and again, it's your intention. If you let yourself go and you go absolutely all out on one of those tests, then it's going to be devastating. Um, another one we did was a battle of the East one year that was, I think it ended up being a 5k. There was a 5k run. And, um, I, this happens every time there's a race. I started way too fucking fast. And basically, we, we were running. It was me, Canfield, and Cookie. And then it was against the Alioff team, which was um, James Wright, Nico Rompon, Street Hornets, like two games athletes, and then James Wright. They were carrying James Wright around. And then we took off, and we had a, a set pace, which we had to hold according to like Dave's calculations. And then we took off, and then Nico went too fast. So I just stepped to Nico and stayed with him and it was about 30 seconds per kilometer faster than what we were supposed to run. In fact, I think it was even faster than that. I think we were in like a 240 pace for the first 500 meters. And then we were going and no one really knew the route and we were running, running. This girl starts pointing like, oh, down this way. And it was down to the beach. So it was like concrete and then down into sand. It was probably about four, maybe 500 meters of these three laps were in the sand. And we just held the same pace the whole way through. And I was literally... Um, on like about to red line and then we lost Dave. So we all got to slow down and then Dave had to push the catch up with us. So Dave was redlining for the whole race. <laughs> and I've ever done that in a partner workout where you've been the weak link and then you don't get as much rest or you've got to hold on. It actually happened. That reminds me, we did not um, a team uh, obstacle course race at Nadal Fever once. And one year, we did two years in a row, the first year, another guy in the team, he became the weak link and he dropped off. And if that person, if you're not the first person to drop off, the rest of the race is easy for you because you can just wait. You're running at the fastest pace that the slowest person's moving. Easy day for you. If you're this guy and you're the first person to drop off, it is horrible. And the next year, I was that guy. And it was <laughs> like, it was just a faster team and I wasn't as prepared. So I took, we took off and holding a strong pace and about maybe... 10 minutes into an hour race, I was just like, uh-oh, this is not going to end well. And I just took a little break and everyone else waited for me. Then I had to push to catch up with them. And I was like, this is it. The next 45 minutes are going to be absolute hell. And I just felt I just wanted to shit myself. It was just absolutely horrible the whole time. I've got, um, wrap it up. I've got, so 2K Rover time, agree completely. That's probably the worst I've ever felt after a workout. Um, second 2K. one, I remember... Yeah, 2K. I remember doing a workout with Eva Clark back in the day and we did like a CrossFit East style. It was like 100 dead, in a pair, 100 deadlifts and it was like 60 kg and, and uh, 135 pounds for me, 95 pounds for Eva. And it was like deadlifts, 100 deadlifts and it was like 80 cleans, 60 um, jerks, 40 snatches and 20 muscles, whatever, something like that. But it was every minute on the minute, both do five burpees. And like, oh. I've never like, I was literally just like praying that Eva was going to do more reps. I was like, I can't, I literally can't do any more reps. Like I, just when you're in that position and there was that, that's what I like about your uh, FIF workouts that you have down at, um, down at base, like that style of workout. Cause I hadn't really done workouts like that for a long time, you know, where I think the toughest ones for me are where you're, you're working in a team and like as an obliging mentality, I don't want to let someone else down. Mm. And when you're in like a team of two or a team of three and it's, uh, it's really obvious when you start to slack off, whether you're, whether you're tired or whether you're just being lazy, it's really obvious. They're just the most horrendous workouts because you just sure. constantly on it. And it's, it falls back into what you were saying about don't be the first person to drop off because you're going to pay. Exactly. And I, I yeah, know that's how you, that's how you design those workouts to just get full like transparency on who's pushing. The weak link is definitely going to get punished. Yeah. 
Okay, right, we'll wrap it up there, mate. Craig. Uh, what, what was your, oh, you said you had three. I thought you said yeah. three workouts. 2K row, the, well, Either. FYF, general FYF. Oh, okay, fair enough. There was one that stood out. It was one that you were taking and it was like, it started at like 12 minutes. It was like sled, team of three, sled pushes, uh, assault bike burpees, and then the time decreased. Do you remember that one? It was like 12 yeah. minutes, 11 minutes, 10 minutes, nine minutes. And I just remember, can't remember who I was with, but I was just like, I think it was the second time that I'd done it. And I was just like, this is horrendous. But when you finished a workout like that, you can't wait to do it again. <laughs> I don't bother doing them anymore. That's too hard. I just literally, <laughs> I, I think when you started doing them, I was like, yeah, I'll jump into a couple. I did like every other week, two weeks in a row. And that was it. Yeah. I'm it's not mad enough to do those workouts. You lot uh, are nuts. Mate, where can, uh, where can people find you? Man, get onto uh, we're base three DXV on Instagram uh, and base three. We've got a bunch of kind of like new information up there. We're redoing our website a bit, so there's a bunch of resources on there. And um, actually, our YouTube page as well. We're trying to put a bit more content into our YouTube page. Um, and if anyone's doing the CrossFit Open and wants to come and do any of that with us, we're doing. We've got a big group of guys doing that on uh, on a weekend during the Open. So yeah, nice. and you got the podcast as well. Yeah. Basically podcast. I think that's just the basic podcast. We're on all platforms too. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, brother.